Welcome to the most inappropriate book club you never knew you were missing. Featuring at least three different books every week. Starring Martha Steele. The weirder the book, the better. Funny Golden. Historical fiction with a side of trauma porn. Keith Steigert. Reading the books your mother warned you about. Megan Runyon, reading YA and whatever her current fixation is. Pat Griner, refusing to read by the rules as a rule. These people are passionate about books, maybe a little too passionate. Plotting world domination one book at a time, they are three book girls. But yes, Martha and Bonnie made the trek to Edmund yesterday for the first time in the history of this podcast. <laughs> For the first time in the history of this podcast, Megan invited us to her house. I did. <laughs> hey, we were two, like two minutes from it. <laughs> Which was super surreal because, you know, we've seen it on the camera so many times. It was like, we walk in, it's like, this feels really strange. <laughs> I had to frantically clean the house Friday night because I was like, oh shit, <laughs> like, let me... Putting the dishwasher out and like put oh, stuff in the dishwasher. Like we, like we opened up your dishwasher or your fridge, Megan. I would have. No, but I had like, I had dishes all over the place. Actually, that would have been fascinating to open up Megan's fridge. It was empty yesterday. I just went to the grocery this morning because I wasn't going to have food for the week if I didn't go this morning. So you would have opened it and be like, oh, you have margarita mix and cider and leftover pizza. <laughs> Great. That's kind of what I would would have expected anyway. This is what I would have imagined. Okay. okay. I would have imagined yeah. a gallon of chocolate milk, some cheese, uh, leftover pizza, leftover chicken nuggets or, or strips. Maybe not. She wouldn't eat leftovers. No. No. It's full now. It's I can't think of veggies. anything else. I can't believe you even eat veggies. Well, it's like celery and apples. So I guess it's really like fruit. Well, celery is a veggie. It's a veggie. I'm surprised you would touch it. I do. I like, I like celery and, and ranch dip. And mix. olives. She would probably have a ton of olives in there. I do. This will air after, after the, book. the book, sale. book sale. Prior to the book sale, I had to go through my shelves and pack them into the wheelie bin for a visit to the Goodwill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got. I have a stack. I need to take. I need to find a free library close by. Twenty-five or thirty books stacked up in my little thing over there to go to the Goodwill. Find a free library. Put them in there. Did you say you found an app that you can just scan your bookshelves and it will record? It will generate a list of what you've got. I did. It's actually really is it cool. Accurate? Uh, yeah. It, it, well, I've had two books that it pulled up some weird ass. Yeah, <laughs> like French poetry or something. When I was scanning a Stephen King book, that's what it's yeah. called. Bookshelf. It's got, it's got a picture of. Oh, is it like a book or orange, a stack of books? Orange books. Yeah, there's circle. like there's like three or four called bookshelf, but you got to look for that one. It and it has yeah. a thing where you just push scan. Uh huh. And you scan the USB and it pops up. And then you can categorize it or put it on whatever shelf you want. Oh, you have to scan the USB. Yeah. Oh, I thought you just ran it along your shelf and it like read the titles off the spine. Oh no, now no, that no, would no. be great. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not. I 
don't have the patience to pull thousands of books off the shelf. Well, the cool, no, me either. The, me either. the cool thing about this is there's a thing called batch scan. Uh-huh. So you just push the batch scan and it, you have time to pull out each individual book, scan it, put it back, pull another one, scan it, put it back. So you don't have to really like touch anything during that process. It, it continues oh. to stay while you're doing it. Now, I, I ran into an issue because some assholes put stickers over the USB. Yeah. Mm. And hmm. I hadn't really been aware of that before because I never had the reason to be aware. So a lot of the books I've had on my shelf have been there for a really long time. And when you try to get the stickers off decades later. Hair dryer. I, yeah, I even tried the hair dryer and some of them were on there so good. They did not want to come off. Yeah. I used a pencil eraser on there trying to get it to move and. Some of them I picked at forever before I could get them off. Yeah. And hair dryer so, and my little spatula came with my Cricut cutter. Plus it used to Normally. be the when they would remove a book for remainders, they would put a slash through the USB with a like a a Sharpie. Sharpie. There's you're screwed if that's the case. It it won't scan. But you can put them in individually if you want. I found I have hundreds of books. And the process only took me a couple of hours to do all of them. No, mm-mm. I've already gone through my shelf once to make my TBR official list. I'm not doing it again. I found it really helpful. Every once in a while I go through and scan, my, but I, I just put mine on a Goodreads shelf. Well, I also books. have I have them on a Goodreads shelf as well, but I, but I wanted to have something so that when I go to the book sale, all I have to do is look to at one little file to see if it's on my shelf instead of the goodreads i don't always you know buy those books true if you're an audio person Mm -hmm. you don't buy or read physical copies very often true true so it was very very helpful i thought but you have to look for the icon with the little orange books on it yeah i found it i haven't haven't downloaded it yet but i did find it you'll be surprised at how easy the batch scan is you might want to mm-hmm. test it just to see if you look at that book tech bringing book tech to the podcast. Yeah, that that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> I think I got the idea from lurking on one of those book. I don't know if it was ours. I think it might have been on our page. Mm. Somebody was talking about on on the on the squad page was talking about what what apps we use to track our books you, do you remember a post like that i do yeah that's where Medically. i got it so whoever thank you to whichever squad member was the one that pointed that out to me because it's going to save my ass at the book sale vani <laughs> i know what? i know for a fact that you do not have a very large bookshelf and if you just take a couple of minutes to scan what you have <laughs> then you won't end up bringing home the same five books True statement. this year at the book sale, which you, which you do tend to do. You go, do I really have that? I don't know if I have that. And then you bring it home. You know, Vonnie, when I was at the Guthrie book sale, I almost like called you because I kept seeing Ken Follett books. And I was like, I'm sure she has this. I'm sure she has this. <laughs> 
and they were like scattered throughout like they were not all in the same place and i was like i'm sure she's got these so hopefully you had the ones that i saw there because i'm I was, sure i do i figured you did with ken follett so i wasn't that stressed for it but every time i saw one i was like funny book funny book <laughs> i have a lot of ken follett so yeah what was it? You got to find out what his first book was, and we'll be on the lookout for a first of the first. Oh, first yeah. There the you first. go. Yeah. I just really can't wait to see what ends up in YA this year. <laughs> that has no business being in the YA. <laughs> yeah. We've t- you guys also brought I- up an interesting question about the categorization of books and what, yes. what makes fiction literary fiction. Mm hmm. Because yeah. it tends to be a genre that is not buzzy. Mm-hmm. You, har- you hardly ever find a crossover of a really buzzy book that's also categorized as literary fiction. I wonder why that is. I don't know. I always think a literary fiction is old. I think I said that in the show. I can't remember. But to me, I'm like, literary fiction is like yesteryear. No. I know it's not. I just yeah. think of it that way. I read. I actually like all the light you cannot. We cannot see. There yeah. was a literary fiction that was buzzy. True, but it's, but it wasn't fiction. Historical it's fiction? historical fiction. Yeah, but yeah. it's very very literary. It's, it's the quality. I mean, it, literary isn't a genre. Like you can have, you can have literary historical fiction. But it you can is have literary science fiction. You have literary horror. But it is categorized. What makes it literary. It is categorized I mean, as literary very fiction. very much aspires to be literary fiction. But it hardly ever but it's is. still writing horror. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I mean, what the heck does literary mean? I mean, it's, if it's, it's just, relating to literature, then aren't all books literary fiction? I think fiction? it's the language. Like it's snobby. Poetic. <laughs> wordy. That's exactly what it is. It's wordy. A Venn diagram of literary oh, fiction versus like genre fiction. Mm. So lit- according to the, and this is from writers.com, so whoever runs that, <laughs> it says literary fiction is character-driven, uncharacterizable, and tells a story using complex characters, theme, and literary devices. And that can be in any genre. Yeah. Yes. But I yeah. think the... So- I, I, would, I would counter your, and granted, I, you're absolutely right, Tolkien is verbose. Verbose, but, yes. But in like in sci-fi, literary fiction, Ray Bradbury. Ray oh. Bradbury is absolutely literary fiction. I agree. And he's there. He he doesn't waste a word. Yes, but a lot of yeah. times poetic language doesn't use excessive words. So poetic yeah. and wordy sound like different things, but they're actually kind of the same. Because the careful no. choice, the careful choice of words makes it more poetic. Mm-hmm. So they define genre fiction as plot-driven, categorized into specific genres, and tells a story using tropes, plot structures, and genre convic- conventions. The overlap of the Venn diagram for like things they both have relying on interesting and relatable characters can borrow from other genres and categories have life lessons and deeper meaning and use the same elements of fiction character setting theme plot style and pov 
So that's like clear as mud. Now we know that. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. that was, that's just the first one that popped up. So, yeah, that pretty much does not. But I do know that a lot of times the people who I don't remember where I was, I was at a writer's convention, I think, in the early days when I thought I was still going to be a writer. And there was this guy who was like, really, I don't even remember his name, if that tells you anything. And he wrote exclusively literary fiction, which to him, it was because he was ultra educated and his work was very, I don't even know how to put it, bougie. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. But the yeah. guy was like, oh, I don't, I don't write genre. I write only literary fiction. And of course, I'd never mm. heard of the guy, and I was trying to read one of his books, and I was like, oh my God, this is so boring. So Goodreads definition. <laughs> the term is principally used to distinguish quote-unquote serious fiction, which is a work that claims to hold literary merit in comparison from genre fiction and popular fiction. The name literature is sometimes used for this genre, although it can be referred to on a broader category. And some of the books they listed were Normal People, The Goldfinch, A Little Life, Gatsby, The Vanishing Half, Handmaid's Tale, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, Where the Crawdads Sing, and the list goes on. But those are some of the things that Goodreads considers Hmm. to be literary fiction. Interesting. So. Well. Now that Who we've knows? now that we've done a deep dive into that, <laughs> should we maybe move along and do some reviews? I don't know if anybody has any literary fiction this week. No, but I don't. <laughs> or like nah. Just I think I have mine. Mine's because, probably fairly literary. Yeah. Just Fair because enough. Megan Fair doesn't enough. have any doesn't mean the rest of us might not. Vani, she just named several books that you've read. In the literary fiction category, a little life being the front runner for that, because you said that was so depressing. You know, I was talking about the new book friends that I have at work now mm-hmm. that might come to the book crawl and she's, stuff. She's book um, cheating with us, with her work <laughs> friends now. And uh, one of them is reading uh, Little Life because of my recommendation. <laughs> I told her that it will, you know, stomp on her heart, crush it, put it in a garlic mincer, and press it on through. But she read it. She said she's reading it. I, I don't know how she's doing with it. I haven't asked her. Yeah. And just FYI, I'm looking at all of the little hashtags on my library app. And uh, my book has uh, literature on there. Doesn't say literary. Does that mean... <laughs> That this Stephen King book that I'm about to review is literary history or literary fiction. I don't, I'm not really sure. I think it depends on which one. Cujo does not fall into the literary fiction category. Sorry, Stephen. (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm not reviewing Cujo. Sorry. I mean, why would I want to read a book where the dog is the villain? Then I would definitely be in love with the villain because that dog just needs a little TLC. There's obviously something wrong with him. 
Well, he has rabies. He he just needs some good medicine and some pets. (laughs) Medicine and some pets. Yeah, maybe with some really heavy-duty gloves. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. And a muzzle. Chain mail. Chain mail would definitely be needed for that. (laughs) For those cuddles. The uh, Stephen King book that I'm reviewing this week is called The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. And this was actually pretty short compared to any other Stephen King novel that I've read. For him, I think it would be a novelette, even though for anyone else, it'd probably be a full-fledged novel. Just FYI, if anyone wants to read a short Stephen King book, this one would be a good one. They do exist. They do exist. So this book is about a little girl named Trisha, who's nine years old, and she lives with her mom. Her mom and dad are divorced. I I think it's pretty recently divorced because there's still a lot of fighting going on. She has an older brother who's a teenager and is very much a teenage boy. So he's kind of an ass. I mean, not overly, just a teenage boy. Anyone who has a teenage boy will understand that. And mom always tries to do these things to make them come together as a family for family bonding time on weekends, stuff like to go camping or to go fishing or to go do a tour at a museum or all of these things that are educational and family bonding, but not necessarily fun for a nine-year-old and a teenage boy. This specific family outing that she has chose is a hike on the Appalachian Trail um, in Maine. So they live like Maine, New Hampshire area. I can't remember if they, if it's New Hampshire or Maine that they start, but it's a trail and it's a guided trail. It's a very, you know, you don't have to be extremely skilled hiker to be able to do this, but they're going to go on this hike. The kids aren't really excited about it, but, you know, mom's trying to make it sound like it's going to be like this wonderful experience for them and oh they're going to be going out in nature and you know just think (laughs) of all the fun and yada yada and they get to going and teenage brother and mom are bickering back and forth and trish is just kind of trailing behind kind of feeling forgotten because nobody's really paying attention to her because i mean she is a nine-year-old little girl so she acts like a nine-year-old little girl And then she decides that, you know, she has to pee. So, and she doesn't want to chime into her mom and her brother because she's feeling very put out that they're excluding her. And she decides that she's just going to walk a couple of feet off the trail and just pee behind some bushes. Well, you know, red flag, red flag, red flag, flag on the flag. You know how that's going to go. Famous last words. (laughs) Yeah. So she decides instead of just going back the way that she came after she relieved herself, um, if she just cuts right across like the hill in front of her, she could, she should catch the trail because it goes in it wide right before she stepped off to use the restroom. So she goes over this hill thinking that she's going to catch the trail and the trail's not there. Jeez. 
And then I think she ends up kind of uh, falling down another hill. And by the time she gets down at the bottom of this other hill, she's pretty, she's lost. I mean, she doesn't know which way she went when she fell or anything else. And so she's lost in the woods. Um, in, I guess in school, they did a little bit of like, um, survival training. So like in her science class, they've taught her like what berries and what leaves that she can eat and what not to eat and, you know, what to stay away from and, and so on and so forth. So she's definitely more educated than I would have been at nine years old. And if I got lost in the woods, because I would have had no clue. And, uh, so she, um, plus she has the food and the water that she had packed in her backpack for the hike. She automatically starts rationing her water and her food and her lunch that she had packed herself. So she's in a pretty good position and she goes where she thinks that she's supposed to. Obviously, she's still nine and makes lots of mistakes and ends up just going further into the woods instead of back to civilization. And as she gets a little more lost and starts to run out of like food and water, strange things start to happen. And it's kind of up in the air if strange things are actually happening or if it's just in her head. And one of the things that she does to try to kind of keep her sanity is she talks to Tom Gordon, who's a relief pitcher for the Red Sox. And she <laughs> loves the Red Sox. And she actually has a radio with headphones. And she rations her batteries on her her little walkman um and listens to just like 15 or 20 minutes of the red sox game like every night that she's lost because she's a huge baseball fan um so of course you know she keeps going through the woods and even stranger things start happening um, she thinks that there's this uh, monster who hunts little kids who get lost in the woods. Oh, jeez. They only attack like when they get so, when they lose all hope of ever getting found. And then the monster has them in his grasp. And so she keeps thinking she sees this monster and this monster's chasing her. And of course it is a Stephen King book. So there's always the question in your mind, is there really this really strange monster or is this just in her head? And he does a really great job of writing it where it could be either way. You could, you know, you want to go down the path that it's this monster, or if you want to go down to this path that it's not, and it's just in her head. It's just, it, I mean, it was really well-written. I mean, it is Stephen King. He's an awesome writer. Uh, this is a Stephen King book that I actually did like. I, I did like this book. I know I've said before in the past that Stephen King really isn't one of the authors that I read a lot because he's very hit or miss with me. And this one was definitely a hit. I liked it. 
Um, it wasn't too long. It didn't get super strange. There are some strange parts, but because, you know, it's the monster who goes after kids lost in the woods. And it was, it was a really good book. It kind of made, I read this actually like a week or two after Megan did her review on the one about people getting lost in the woods and what, and I can't remember the specifics, but it made me think of her book too. But yeah, it was really good. I liked it. I don't want to get too far into it because, you know, I don't want to give away plots and I'm not going to tell you whether or not she was found or if the monster finally did get her. You're going to have to read it. Find well, it out. holds it holds up to the statistic of adults are found really close and children are found wandering God fucking knows where. So well, she definitely wandered. She exactly. wandered. She she wandered very far away from the starting point. Like she went in the complete opposite direction than she was supposed to. Yep. That was one of the statistics in my book. Yeah. I yeah. think she ended up um, wandering almost to Canada. So, yeah. I yeah, love was... that book. I remember reading it. You read ago. it? You yeah. read that book? But I'm curious, Bonnie, since you're not usually a King fan, what made you pick that one up? Somebody at work recommended it. Ah. Yeah. We were all sitting around because there's a lot of readers that I work with and it was kind of like end of the day kind of thing. And everybody was just kind of sitting around talking because there wasn't enough time to really start working on a new project. And um, everybody around me is like sci-fi fans. So mm -hmm. we were talking back and forth and um, the one guy who used to sit right next to me, he doesn't anymore. Um, I moved desks. But um, he's a big sci-fi fan, and he was telling me these different sci-fis. And then he started talking about this Stephen King book that he read that he liked. And um, I definitely could see myself reading this Stephen King before I could the sci-fis he was talking about. So um, I decided to try it. I mean, it was, since it wasn't very long, figured if it sucks, I'd just DNF it. But it, I didn't, and it was good, and I'm glad. I'm glad I decided to try it on his recommendation. And it's really awesome working with a bunch of book people. So jealous. That's a great way to get recommendations. Yeah. So it was really good. And it's not a historical fiction. It's not really a, it's not a romance. I don't even know where it would fit in the genre. I guess thriller, horror. I mean, it was kind of suspenseful, but there's not literary like, fiction. It was literary fiction. <laughs> well, just because, I mean, it was a thriller because, you know, there was a, that little suspense in it. Like, is she going to be found? Is this monster real? But it wasn't the like a serial killer book would obviously have more suspense in it than this one. Wow. It was a nice little journey. Cool. And that again was Stephen nice. King. Stephen King, the girl who loved Tom Gordon. Cool. Shall we move right along to Keith now? Sure. So the book I'm reviewing this week is called At First Spite by Olivia Dade. At First Spite. I love that. I love it too. Just wait though. Like, okay, so... 
before I start, this might be really, this might be knowledge everyone but me has, but do you guys know what a spite house is? Is that, is, house? That, is that the, like, it's like a haunted house except for it's Jesus-y? No. <laughs> oh, no, I have no idea. So, so we have had you... conversations come up twice this week in my life about Jesus haunted houses, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> so um, sometimes when you'll have um, an area with a lot of row houses without a lot of room in between the houses, have you ever seen one of those very high but very narrow, like 10 <sighs> feet wide houses? Yes. Yeah. Those are called spite houses because they're built there usually to spite the people living on other each side of them. Oh. oh. Right? I didn't know that either. We all learned, learned something new today, I think. Learn something new. So, in this book, um our main character is Athena. Uh she is uh engaged to a younger guy she's like in her she's 37 he's 30 he lives in this very small town um like a thousand people and the entire time that they are engaged and they have a very quick like dating like a whirlwind kind of dating thing and they get engaged very quickly he has an older brother who is 39 his name is matthew and Matthew ha tells his younger brother, the fiance, throughout the engagement, how he's making a mistake. He really shouldn't be marrying this woman. He, ju he just is constantly bringing it up. So, and Athena knows that he's against their relationship. So what ends up happening is her fiance lives in this house and there is a spite house right next to it. And the spite house makes it so that a lot of his rooms don't get any light. So the spite house shares a wall with his house and he's constantly, and he's been talking forever about how one of his big goals is that someday he wants to buy that house and knock out the wall <laughs> and make it along a bigger house. Right. So Athena buys the house as a wedding present for him, quits her job as a teacher and plans to like move into this small town. And this guy breaks up with her a month before the wedding. Oh no. So now she has this house in this city that she doesn't know anybody in. And it's sharing a wall with her ex-fiance and she knows he breaks up with her just because his brother matthew is so against it his of brother actually his said huh of course his I name know. is matt i know you hate that and matthew like lives on the other side of the spite house or like right across the way like they so they all live like within this tiny little area like he's so close that he can see in her windows in this and the spite house is literally like 10 feet wide and she's a bigger woman so she's really not happy with a the fact that she has to live in this spite house because she has used all her savings on it she can't like turn around and sell it right away she has no job 
the fiance was like, yeah, quit your job. You know, I can float us for like a while. So she has nothing going on and she's just kind of stuck <laughs> and she lives right by both of them. Now, uh, fiance, he's not a bad guy, but he's kind of like just an idiot. He was raised by his older brother, Matthew, and um, like you find out his old Matthew had like pays for most of his uh they're both pediatricians he paid for he pays on his medical school payments he paid for their honeymoon and this guy just goes on the honeymoon like it's a month-long honeymoon and he leaves the pediatrician's practice even though he, he didn't even get married because he doesn't want to waste his brother's money who bought this nice vacation. So at least she doesn't have to deal with the fiance for a month. But Matthew is right there. And this book was really, I like Olivia Dade for a lot of reasons. One, she always writes about plus sized female characters and finding romance and stuff. And she doesn't write a she writes about plus size characters just like normal characters and i think books tend to shy away from that because it's like movies like you don't want anybody hot like bigger than a size four like to be your leading lady and i really like that she's not afraid to do that secondly and i mean this is a big trigger warning for people who um don't like to read about mental health representation or maybe have issues with that. But this book, she goes through a depression. Um, and it's so very well details exactly what a depressive episode is like a major depressive episode. I mean, it's really upsetting actually to read about the problems that she has and how she suffers. But the book did such an amazing job of detailing exactly like what that could look like and the kinds of support and help that she needs and gets eventually. So, I mean, it's a really, it's a lot more sad because you just see how desperately she needs someone and she's in this town where she doesn't know anybody i mean she just she has a lot happen all at once kind of thing and it just really spirals her into just the very worst episode she's ever had so i mean it was just i'm really happy that so many authors are kind of making mental health issues like they're putting it in the forefront and they're talking about it and because i know even when i was growing up mental health was something that was really stigmatized nobody talked about it nobody knew what to do if something happened to someone they loved like it was i mean at least my family like we didn't talk about that kind of stuff um so it was re it's really nice to see people putting those kind of things into books, um, not just to like glorify it or anything, but to educate you and to give guidance to people 
if in case you see someone going through this. So I, it was a great romance, but it was an even better book, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Yeah. And there is a happy ending. So, I mean, it is a romance. <laughs> so, but it was a really great book. It really touched on a lot of important issues and things. And uh, I easily, I, I would have given it more than five stars if Goodreads allowed that kind of shit, which they should. But I mean, five stars is nothing. You should go from zero to 10. It would be so much easier. But anyway, <laughs> and that was At First Spite by olivia dade awesome all right megan so this week i am reviewing fourth wing by rebecca yaros and it took this long for us to have this book reviewed because i was stubbornly waiting to try to find a first edition with the sprite edges which i never did find but the christmas edition came out with the black edges so i bought it then (laughs) Uh, so we have probably one of the buzziest books of last year. Now here is fourth wing. Uh, so we have Violet and she is our main character and she is the daughter of the general of this town or country. And she is very fragile. Like she has some kind of, autoimmune or something like she breaks pretty easily and her dad pretty much was like you know what you're gonna be a scribe when you grow up so i'm gonna just like lock you over here in the library and she like has all this vast knowledge of history of the country and like all these things because she spent so much time in the library with her dad well her dad has since passed and they hit a certain age where they have to like pick what direction they're going to go. It's kind of like college, but like more intense. So they can go to, they either have to be a scribe or they can go be a writer, not a writer, but a writer because they have dragons and they, this country keeps their power because of the dragons basically. Um, So her, her mom being the general, is like, listen here, no child of mine is going to go be a scribe. So get your ass over here to be a dragon rider. And her sister's a dragon rider, and her brother was a famous dragon rider. Like, it's a whole thing. So she, and you can't just like walk in the door, right? Because that's not how it would roll in a kind of romanticy setting in the book. You have to cross this parapet is what they call it. It's basically up in the mountains and you have to cross it. And if you don't fall off of it, that's like step one. So if like 3000 people go up to cross it, like 500 of them fall to their deaths. Like it's not like an easy task. So she goes up, her sister has armed her with good boots and dragon scale vest because there's basically like no rules of conduct except for like certain there's like limited rules of conduct so if someone just decides they don't like you like in line they can just shank you and move on so her sister has been using like as her dragon has like lost scales has been building this vest with dragon scales to help protect her sister 
So she, um, I, it's not really a spoiler because if she didn't make it, we wouldn't have a book. <laughs> so she gets across the parapet and her, and it's pouring down rain. It's like the worst possible day to try to cross this like awful bridge of death. So she gets across. And then the rest of the book is her journey of trying to survive all the trials to become a writer. And her childhood best friend, and I'm probably not going to pronounce it right because it's pronounced differently in, in Gaelic, um, but basically Dan is like her BFF. But like, do they love each other? Do they not love each other? They're kind of having a back and forth. So he spends a lot of time trying to protect her. And then we have Xander. And Xander is the son of someone that her mother had killed for being a traitor at like the last like big war they had between themselves, like their last civil war. So Xander and and his folks, like the children of the traitors, are automatically required to try to become dragon riders. Like they have no say. So it's kind of the punishment for their parents being traitors that like they may or may not live. Like some of them never make it because they fall off the sidewalk. And so he kind of hates her. There's a lot of people that hate her because they feel like her mom is like the worst. And so the watching the dynamic with her and Xander, because you can't decide like, does she like him? Does he like her? Or is he trying to like, cozy up to her to try to kill her like there's all kinds of crazy things happening um and they they the dragons pick the students and not the other way around because the dragons are really in charge like the people think they're in charge but it's really the dragons and so you see and if the dragons decide like oh you're weak and you suck they will just like incinerate you when you walk by them so when they go to the dragon picking ceremony, they tell the like the students, like, stay like 10 feet away from each other as you walk in front of all these dragons because you don't want to get accidentally incinerated because the person in front of you got incinerated. Uh, so it's it's definitely romanticy. I would almost say it's the romance really doesn't come into play until like the last hundred pages. So it's it's fantasy most of the way through I would say and there's some twists at the end and if I had had a chance to read the sequel before I had to pick up something different I would have because I had questions I had to write myself notes so I went back to read the book I'd remember who was where <laughs> I will say this is the first book in a long time that I was so attached to some of these characters that at the end of towards the end of the book i was in tears reading it because what happens to some of the characters and it's been a minute since i genuinely cried reading a book so uh i really enjoyed it i get why it was so buzzy and yeah you just follow her journey and she's so clever like she gets so many other people out of trouble because she has so much shit like memorized. Like they'll be talking about something in class and then she'll just like be whispering to her friend like, hey, say this. Hey, this is the answer. Because she's trying to stay under the radar because she knows everybody wants to kill her because of her mom. And so her teachers are like, hey, how about you talk for yourself, Miss Miss uh, Miss Violet over here? 
And so it's it's fascinating to watch her use all of her scribe training to survive trying to become a dragon rider. And she's she's fantastic. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. But if you want to know what happens to Violet and her little merry band of dragon riders, you will have to read Fourth Wing for yourself, which I highly recommend. And that is Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. Well, it's just about time. That thing's been out a while. I know. Well, because I was trying so hard to, like, accidentally stumble across a first edition that somebody didn't realize what they had. Uh, like, you'll probably find one this weekend just because. Or <laughs> you'll, you'll probably, I will buy it. You'll probably find one during the crawl because that's how that works. Uh, yeah. I, I even looked when I was at, like, the Guthrie... I was going through the Guthrie Antique Shops a couple weeks ago, and you know how people just, like, donate stuff to... Go I was like, yep. is there a fourth wing on here that, like, mm -hmm. no one, like, realizes what it is? So, yeah, I I've been looking, because I will buy that thing. As a, like, if I don't care how many other editions I have of that book, I will, if I find the first edition for a reasonable price, <laughs> will be buying it. Okay, moving along to Pat. I have I have a novel with an interesting juxtaposition of genres. I would say it's definitely literary fiction based on our early con earlier conversation. <laughs> it's also a women in prison novel. Oh. <laughs> now, the last time I read and any sort of women in prison novel, I was probably about 11 or 12 and it was a semi-smutty book that my older brother had hidden in the basement so my mother wouldn't know that he was reading <laughs> it. <laughs> And I came across it and was, I never did read the whole thing, but I'd read through and read passages and kind of be wide eyed and sort of. <laughs> like, Thanks, Gray. Appreciate by that. By Gray, if you, if my brother is ever listening to this podcast, I didn't give you up to mom. So remember that and be great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> later. So the book I'm reviewing is called Sing Her Down by Ivy Pakoda. And it focuses on two women who are in an Arizona prison. One of them, uh, her given name is Florence, but by the time she gets to prison or once she's in prison, she chooses to go by Florida instead because it seems oh. tougher. I don't know. <laughs> so she she is from a very wealthy Los Angeles family. She grew up in the lap of luxury and fell in got in with a fast crowd, got into drugs, got a boyfriend or at least a guy who was uh, pretty into drugs and decided to take revenge. Something went wrong with a drug deal. And he and Florida in her Jaguar, which was her prized possession, they drive out to the uh, trailer out in the desert where these people that he's upset with live and he torches it with a Molotov cocktail and people die. And there's, you never quite know how much to believe from what you're told. Florida may just have essentially been driving the getaway car. She may have encouraged him to throw that Molotov cocktail. She may have lit the match that is a, you don't know quite you get different views on it. Anyway, she got caught and she's in prison. The other woman it focuses on is, they mostly just call her Dios. I, her, her full name, it's a Hispanic name and I don't want to butcher it. It's something like Dion Dios Mary something more. 
long, but she just is known as Dios in the course of the book. She was she grew up in an impoverished situation, but was a very, very smart young woman, got a scholarship to to an Ivy League school, but always was very conscious of the way that she was treated by these people who were supposedly lifting her up, but were really at the same time looking down on her and treating her badly, but subtly badly, yeah. Uh, she ended up, as I said, in the same prison. So they have very, very different backgrounds and they become, they just become enemies in prison. Everything each one does irritates the other. The book is the book isn't told chronologically. So at the very beginning, it tells you these two women are coming to a showdown. They are out of it happens when they are after they are out of prison. And it gives you the setting and kind of an iconic picture of a mural overlooking this intersection somewhere on the edge of Los Angeles. And it says, you know, and and it tells you they're coming to what's pro, what's going to be for one of them, you don't know which one, a fatal showdown. And so you have that impending sense all through the book that it's leading up to this. About halfway through the book, these two women are released from prison because of COVID, because of the over the crowding in prison. A lot of people got early release because so that the prisons were less crowded. And that sets that early release kind of sets off the final lead up to this showdown. But it's what it is, is a fascinating look at women and violence, because Florida in particular, you see a lot more from more from Florida's point of view than from Dios's. But it's Florida coming to terms with the violence that is in her nature, because at first she tries to tell herself this was an aberration. She's not a violent person. But in the course of the book, she comes to embrace her violent tendencies and realize that that she finds a kind of pleasure in them that's that's surprising to her and to everyone who would have known her growing up it's a really really good character study and these two women and how they interact and the the inevitability of it and yet you keep thinking something's maybe something could deflect it here's a Here's an opportunity. They might avoid this fate that's waiting for them. But in fact, fate will not be denied in this book. It's beautifully written. And there's another really interesting character, just a side character, but she gets her own little short chapters interspersed through it. Her name is Case. She's another woman who's prisoner. And she is like the Greek chorus for this book. She she comments on the action in sort of a spooky kooky way because case speaks to the dead she or more more accurately she hears the dead speak to her and she her theory is that every person in this prison who has committed any kind of crime that ends up in someone's death they bring the spirit of that dead person to the prison with them and case speaks to all these spirits and so she has she has her own little spooky kooky sort of input to it, but it's beautifully written. It's it's not a very long book, and it's 
it's just intense. And the two characters, Florida and Dios, are fascinating. And you you can root for them and you can hate them almost at the same time. They're they're just beautifully developed. And it's a nice, solid piece of writing. Very descriptive. All of for all the all the reasons that my brother was reading that women in prison novel all those years ago, hidden in the basement, those are not in this book. <laughs> It's, it is not a cheesy, smutty book. It is a really fascinating character study. And that is, but I still don't know. And I've looked it up. I don't know what the heck the title means, Sing Her Down. I thought maybe it was an expression. I've Googled it. I don't, I can't find anything. Urban Dictionary doesn't have it. I, <laughs> nobody seems to know. I don't, so I don't know quite what Sing Her Down means. But it's a very poetic sounding title. And, and, hmm. and uh, that book is Sing Her Down by Ivy Pakoda. Have you ever read a book that's just so difficult to tell anybody what it's actually about that you just, that you don't want to review it because you don't know how in the hell you're going to explain it? This book is kind of that way. I don't feel like I've really done it justice with my description. <laughs> Yeah, well, I've got one of those. It's called Exordia by Seth Dickinson. The first thing that caught me was the cover, which it hardly ever does. So, Megan, shout out to you for that. I chose it because of the cover. It's got this eyeball on the front of it with snakeskin and stuff all around it. And you can't ignore a cover like that. It's actually staring at you. <laughs> but, of course, you guys know I love science fiction. And the, the beginning of the book really caught me immediately because somewhere in the back of my mind, especially when I was younger, I always kind of thought that if there were aliens, it would be in plain sight where nobody really recognized it or some people just couldn't see it. Well, that's kind of how this book starts out. There, one of the main characters is standing in a park or walking through the park and she notices in the pond, there's this really freaking bizarre looking creature cracking open and eating turtles. So Not the turtles. Yeah, the turtles. And turtles are delicious, I've heard. I have heard there's some good eating on a turtle. And if you're a Terry Pratchett mm. reader, you would recognize that from Small Gods. It's a quote. But anyway, um, it, it's a really fun book in the beginning because I'm into it. I'm a thousand percent in because I, I feel this, right? So she ends up bringing this creature home because it's wounded. And she's the kind of person that's like living day to day, barely has enough money for anything. It's just barely getting by. And once she brings this creature home with her, she's able to actually get enough of things because the thing is an alien. And the... I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on any of this, mainly because it's too fucking hard to go into details because it's so complicated. 
But just in the broadest of broad strokes, this whole thing moves forward because there are two types of aliens that are both wanting to take over the world. One of which she has met and has kind of, you know, bonded with or whatever. And the other one, which has been busy infiltrating the government. And then it, the, the, the book totally shifts tone from this casual, you know, alien encounter to, you know, it's life or death. We have to take care of some shit or we're going to have all kinds of aliens coming down on our head. Which I suppose would be really the case in a situation like that, right? But it's, it's so jarring to go from a beginning like that to hard science and math, but that's kind of where it goes. And I'm 100% there for that part of it. The place where I started to lose the thread a little bit was in the extended time period of the fight. We also have a mysterious, in my head I pictured it as this big black box. It was called Blackbird. Both alien species want to get inside it, but neither can. And most of the humans that try to go inside it are completely uh, destroyed, turned inside out. All kinds of weird shit happens to them when they go in there. So it's this huge puzzle of trying to figure out what to do to get in. And once you get in, how to survive. And the box is in Kurdistan or in somewhere. There's, there's a bunch of Kurdish... Iranian troops and stuff that are like nearby. The, the Kurds are always getting picked on over there. And one of the main characters then, she had, um, the one who saved the, the alien initially, she had done something really horrific when she was young. And then she grew up in the U.S. She always thought her mother was dead. So when they go back to this place, they find out that the mother's still alive. So she's dealing with all that drama. And in the meantime, you've got the government trying to figure out, you know, what to throw at this thing. Because this other, it's just like this huge conflict. The whole thing is conflict after you get past that initial section of, oh, cool, we found an alien. So it was really jarring and very difficult to put those two pieces together. It's like, this is the reason I started reading the book in the first place. And then you're dropped in the shit. <laughs> but it was interesting enough that I want to keep reading. And I think maybe somebody who has a little bit more analytical mind might really enjoy this a, lo a whole lot more than I did because once we got to that section of oh my god we're still trying to figure this shit out I was really I felt like they could have taken out at least a hundred pages of that the thing's 500 pages long or more and I I really felt like okay enough enough fighting enough you know war and bombs and all this other fucking bullshit that goes on when you know the government gets involved 
But overall, it was really, I loved the depth of it. I think eventually I may go back and read it again because there was a lot of stuff that went right over my head. And I'll be the first person to raise my hand and say, yeah, that's the reason I did not rate it higher is that I'm just not smart enough. But sometimes I like that. Sometimes I really dig being around people who are smarter than me, which is probably why I kept reading it. Um, but as sci-fi goes, it was really a fascinating read. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of, oddly enough, queer dynamic that went on between all of the characters in it that had some kind of connection. So that there was an extra dimension to those things as well. And the growth of the characters was dependent upon, you know, how they reacted to all the things that happened in the book. I'm sure there'll be a sequel because of the way it ended. It def definitely did. It was thought provoking. It made me think a lot, but not in the way I expected because if, because of the way it started, I kind of expected that snarky tone and almost sense of fun in a way that it started to kind of either creep back in or I, I don't know. I, I didn't love it as much as I could have would be my final take on it. If you really like science and math, and you really like science fiction, and you're not offended by queer romance, or let, let me rephrase that. I don't think it was really romance more than tension. There was a lot of tension between the characters based on past relationships and that sort of thing. God, I don't even know where to go from, from, from there. The descriptions were fantastic, though. I think Pat might like it because it's so, there's a lot to figure out. There's a puzzle, a big puzzle. It sounds interesting to me. Yeah. So that is a terrible review. I get it. But I almost feel like I had to review it because I liked it enough to give it a decent rating, even though I didn't understand most of it. So the title of that book is Exordia by Seth Dickinson. This airs the day after my 59th birthday. Wah, wah. <laughs> Ladies, this will happen to you if you're not thinking about this right now and you go, she's insane. As you start to get older, sometimes you legit forget how old you are. Because once you get you know, in, your, in your 50s, <laughs> you're like, um... I, am I 57 or 58? Am I 58? I've been, I've been forgetting how old I am since I was like 23. Right. I'll be like, what year was he born? How old? Exactly. Someone this for me. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, not even in your 50s. There was one year, a couple years back, that I went half a year thinking I was a year older than what I actually mm -hmm. was. See, I so mean, I'm I not. Told people. I'm not the only one. I was. I think it was like when I was 48 and I was telling everyone, oh yeah, 48, I'm 48 this year. And then I can't even remember. I think it was because somebody asked me what year Tyler was born or something. And I'm like, you know, doing the math in my head. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not 48. I'm only 47. What the hell? 
Well, yep. count your blessings, because by the time you're 70, you're trying to forget how old you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same age as the Super Bowl at that moment. Oh. So Super Bowl 58, I'm like, fuck, I'm going to be 59 in a month. You know, pretty soon we'll be able to do this podcast and we'll be able to review books that we've already reviewed and get just, just as remember. excited. Yeah, and get just as excited <laughs> about it as the first time we read them. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a plus of aging in book girl years, right? <laughs> oh, my God. I love this book so much. Always be surprised. Yes. I'll be doing this review and I'll go, I just read this great epic fantasy novel. Oh, my God. I just love the characters. It's called The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you guys will be like, um... Here's a picture of some animals. Can you tell me what those are? Because that's the competency test they give you when you get Alzheimer's. They show you a picture of, of different animals, and you have to say what they are real fast. When Ron, like really easy animals, yeah, because like when, there are some animals. I'm like, what the like, fuck is like, that? Like, like when Ron's dad was starting to get a little bit forgetful, they gave him this card with animals on it, and there was like a lion and a giraffe and a cat and a dog and he was looking at the lion going that's a that's a dog that kind of looks like a dog but that's not a dog what is that you lose the ability to recognize things that are familiar yeah that that would be a cruel trick to play on someone if they know that kind of test is coming up and you get a card for them this just got you know it's got a pangolin and a Kawadi and uh, <laughs> an ibex. <laughs> what you don't know what those are? <laughs> you must be losing it. <laughs> so much for this competency test. You're out. Yeah. I don't know what half of those things are. You just said. <laughs> That's so. the point. I was just say. That's the uh... point, Megan. <laughs> Although I have found my new favorite animal. Yeah, it's the oxalotl. Is so goddamn cute. Little gecko kind of things, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Yeah. Mayan. And they're so cute. I want one. You know what, <laughs> Megan? What you're doing is you're perpetuating the love of an animal that people will want to have, even though they shouldn't. So what's going to happen is if you say you want an oxalotl, some asshole's going to go down to Latin America and stick one of those little assholes up his butt, bring it back. No, don't do that. Leave him in Mexico. He can stay in his home. They'll be smuggling animals in their suitcase and don't Why do they it. Have to stick it up his butt. I mean, there's better ways to smuggle a lizard into the U.S. than tourists smuggle busted smuggling otters and a prairie dog through the airport in his pants. Woman attempts to smuggle 22 snakes and a chameleon. Yeah, you get what you Woman get. Woman tries to that. smuggle rats and they break free on the plane. Like nope. It, like Vietnam. What do you need to smuggle rats v- anywhere for? Vietnamese rats. That reminds me. There was a story on the news the other day, and it was talking about. Um, I want to say it was like in Sweden or something on an airplane that um, they ended up having to make an emergency landing because somebody had packed yes rancid fish in their overhead com- their carry on and put it in the overhead and maggots were falling on yep 
Oh, I talked. Yeah. I talked yeah, about I that. The, I talked about that on my radio show the other day. That could you imagine sitting in a plane and you're like, all right, getting comfortable. It's gonna getting be a five snack. hour. And uh, there's maggots falling in your head, and you're like, wait, nope. what's that? Is it raining? <laughs> well, the Ugh, the thing gross. that confuses That's me is disgusting. that person had to go through the screening process. Well, they said that How food do you was get- allowed. Yeah, but how do you yeah, get you- a reeking, rotten piece of fish? If through- your bag is closed, then they just x-ray it. Yeah. Stink doesn't show up on x-rays. But yeah, the but thing maggots is, is you're, not allowed to, you're not allowed to... Um, Those take- people are just pushing stuff through fast as they can. <laughs> oh, They'll stop you if you have, you know, an ounce of liquid, but you can have a whole freaking maggot-filled fish, <laughs> and it's okay. Hey, I took a paring knife through security for months before I realized it was in my bag. God damn. Because I took it for work. I don't know what security you assholes are going through, but I get pulled over all the time if I forget to take my pocket knife out of my bag. I had a pocket knife, little like a little two-inch one. I mean, it was for cutting yarn, basically. And it had fallen through a hole in the lining of my purse. So it was down. It was like you couldn't access it. And they damn near made me leave my whole purse. Cat is a terrorist. I had, to, I had to rip open the hole to get the knife out. Pat, of the you look, of you're, you're pretty. You look sketchy as fuck. It's no wonder they stopped you. <laughs> She's like, she Where is the, the least likely person to be a terrorist. Therefore, she must be a terrorist. Must be a terrorist. Yeah. Depending on the airport, a lot of them have that. Now, where you stand, yeah, like, with you, your arms you, have to, you have to put your mm-hmm. arms up like this. Yeah. Well, I was the only on the one out of all of our group and I was with all of my work people because it was a work trip and they take me out of line. Everybody else is there. Half of the people have marijuana in their bags and they take me <laughs> and put me in the x-ray machine. Like I said, you look sketchy as fuck. <laughs> look at that look in her eye. She has some mischief in there. Therefore... We're going to get her. She looks like she might be a smuggler. She's twitchy. She must have a snake in her pants. Either that or they take the person who uh, doesn't look otter? like they're guilty because they don't want to work. They're like, let's pick somebody who we don't think has anything. I don't want to do the extra paperwork. Well, just so you know, a prairie dog in your pants is not a good look. No. <laughs> and on that note, that's going to do it for Three, Three Book Girls. girls. If you made it this far, you are truly bookish. So go to Facebook and join your fellow book lovers on the Three Book Girls Squad. Follow Three Book Girls on socials and be on the lookout for their next live event. Proud of their lack of shelf control, Three Book Girls is a Steel Trap production. <laughs>